right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode today, we're going to debrief our trip up north to Cabot Links and Cabot Cliffs up in Nova Scotia and our experience there. The five of us uh, all went up there for a couple days in July, had our annual board meeting, played some golf, and then uh, myself, DJ, and Tron are going to be on this episode breaking it down. Big Randy is on vacation at the time that we recorded this. Uh, Neil is, of course, up in New York. So, Before we do officially get going, I want to give you guys a quick reminder that if you are ever having trouble dialing in your equipment or you aren't sure about specifics of, you know, getting custom fit, make sure you guys give the Fitting Room podcast a listen. AJ and Nate from Callaway Golf take a deep dive into really interesting fitting topics to help uh, golfers everywhere make sure they have the right gear in the bag. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I used the wrong shaft in my driver for an entire year last year. Uh, Justin Huber, who just caddied for me in a mid-am qualifier, he looked at my shaft and was like, what are, you, what are you doing here? Like, this isn't even close to the right fit. I did go out to Callaway. We all did to get uh, fit for our Epic Flash drivers uh, in January. And I have now officially cut my handicap by 4.4 shots just from getting properly fit. I made some swing changes in there as well. But uh, the differences are, I can't even explain how big of a difference it's made in my game. So they do release episodes every Monday. The conversation this week was centered around what makes the three woods so difficult to get fit for, how to know you're playing the right one. They got a live call-in show on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio every single Monday night, 8 p.m., 5, 5 p.m. Pacific. So make sure you give The Fitting Room a listen. Just search The Fitting Room anywhere you get your podcast and you'll be a better player because of it. Uh, and without further delay, here's our episode on Cabot Links. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here with Tron and DJ here in the Kill House. We're going to debrief our trip to Cabot Links uh, that we made a couple weeks ago. Um, Neil and Randy were with us as well. Uh, Neil lives in New York, and he's uh, who knows what he's doing today. And Big Randy's on vacation, so it's just going to be the three of us uh, talking about Cabot. And uh, basically everything you need to know about it and what we thought of it. So, Big Randy's on vacation from his podcast talking about his vacation. <laughs> He's pure Michigan. <laughs> so we went up to uh, play the two days of golf at Cabot Links and Cabot Cliffs uh, in the second week of July. First trip for myself, first trip for everyone that was not named DJ Pie. Um, DJ, I want you, you wrote a story in the Golfer's Journal about Cabot. Uh, so I think you're our, you're our resident Cabot expert on all the... Uh, all the background information about it and the setting and whatnot. So I was wondering if you could take us there and help uh, help tee up the this place. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have been there, but I'm sure also a lot have not. So sure. take us there. Yeah. Well, when the you know when the glaciers melted back in the in the ice age. Just kidding. Um, was, so yeah, you were drawing uh, me in there. That was <laughs> I actually well, I thought you that, were... I assume that's part of it, but if my story doesn't quite go back that far, but. Uh, more so in the town of Inverness, Nova Scotia. So Inverness is up in the uh, northwest corner of, of the province of Nova Scotia, uh, up on the west the west coast. New Scotland. New Scotland, uh, which is, you notice when you're there, because you're driving through all the towns and they have names like Inverness and New Glasgow and all these different things. Oh, I'm just now piecing that together. There you have it. Um, so Inverness is, is a very, very, very small town uh, up there. It was at its peak in its heyday. It was about 4,000 people, I think. Oh. 
I was a little disappointed that they didn't have uh, whiteness was one of the towns in northern Scotland. <laughs> I didn't see that one up in New Scotland. I don't know if yeah, they're still to, building towns. We I'm haven't sure. been everywhere in Scotland, but okay. we got to we got to check that out. But it was a it was a coal mine, so it was like a lot of the towns up there. Uh, it was you know coal mine up until the the late fifties, I think nineteen fifty eight. When that shut down, I mean, it's kind of a, a tale, becoming a, a tale as old as time a little bit. But uh, when that shut down, I mean, the, the whole town kind of ground to a bit of a halt. Um, that was kind of the main employer. And, you you know, like I said, you, you've seen this kind of everywhere where these mines shut down or the big industrial or manufacturing jobs shut down in a town. And then eventually, you know, the kids go away to college and they stop moving back. And these things kind of kind of slowly decay. And it's just this sad story that's kind of playing out all over the place. And so the same thing was kind of happening in in Inverness. And not only that, but you had all this, like you guys saw it, obviously some of the most beautiful coastline that you can, you can possibly see. And it's all kind of covered, you know, it was all unremediated mine tailings. So it's just these like gray mine tailings, like leftover. And just, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't there at the time, but not a, it's a tough scene, tough scene at, at the time. And so, which with what I'd heard about Inverness, I was expecting an even bigger town than what it actually is yeah like it, it didn't even look like a town to me just kind of setting the scene for how small this place really is it's uh yeah it, it harkened back a little bit to uh the town i grew up in is is not a ton bigger um it was about four thousand people uh as well maybe a little bit more now but when i was there it was three four thousand people and it's 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 very similar we certainly didn't have uh the beautiful ocean or coal mines or anything like that it was all cornfields but I thought you were from Chicago, DJ. No, guys, we don't have to relitigate, <laughs> relitigate this conversation. Um, so flash forward, or, or flash sideways, I guess, uh, to a guy named Ben Cowan-Dewer, who's the owner of what became Cabot Glyphs and Cabot Links. Um, and Ben was uh, grew up in Canada, just outside Toronto, and was 25 at the time. And he had started his own uh, kind of like golf travel company. So he's going around from you know, booking trips for well-off businessmen and golf travelers and stuff. And so through that had kind of seen much of the world's top 100 courses and had kind of been all over. And I uh, was a huge architecture buff as well. If, if people know golfclubatlas.com, he was, I think, one of the one of the people who helped found that with Rand Morissette. And uh, so through all of this and, and kind of making some money on the on the uh, travel stuff was kind of like, hey, I think, you know, I, I think I know how to... Uh, I've seen a lot of good golf courses. Like I'd like to try my hand at developing one, um, which I think he would be the first person to tell you that's that's uh, you know the the ignorance of youth uh, type situation. Like yeah, I've played courses. Like I, now I'm just gonna go build one, and uh, it certainly wasn't as easy as as he thought it was going to be. So he was at a dinner in Toronto, ended up running into the Canada's Minister of Tourism. I believe his name is Rodney McDonald. The guy was kind of, you know, they they get to talking about golf and Ben's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of kicking around the idea of, of developing a course and the minister is kind of like, hey, I, you know, they've got this perfect place up in Inverness, Nova Scotia. It's, it's, it's absolutely, you know, perfect for a golf course. And Ben says his, you know, his reaction was kind of like, no offense, but every farmer who has like 50 acres thinks it's, it's the next far flung golf destination and that, you know, let, you know, I appreciate it, but like, let me go see it for myself. And so obviously goes and sees it and falls in love with the place. Um, and so it really starts like kind of 
kicking around the idea of actually like making this thing happen and piecing together the financing and doing all that. So of course, uh, his first call is which like to put it into perspective though is like it'd be almost like us sitting around and being like, hey, you know what? We should like design like a go- we should like own a go- like young young guy. Yeah, Let's- we've definitely never had that conversation. <laughs> But like to actually go do it is kind of important, I think, to to put into perspective. Of for course, I, I think he kind of, uh, you know, immediately the, the gravity of this project kind of settles in. So his first call, you know, no surprise, goes to Mike Kaiser, um, who had been wildly successful at doing this already, you know, through Bandon and Barn Boogle and Streamsong and, and places like that. And uh, so he goes to, to Mike and kind of says, hey, this is what I want to do. And you know, which side note, like imagine how many calls like that Mike Kaiser must get at at this point. Like if, you know, Ben's quote about, you know, every farmer who has 50 acres, like imagine how many people are going to Mike Kaiser, like this is better than Bandit. You have (laughs) to come see it. Um, So anyway, so he goes to him and and Mike had just built, I believe trails, Bandit trails in uh, Barn Boogle and down in Tasmania and Lost Farm would have been at that time. Yeah. So I think he was kind of at that time was like, dude, I, I don't know if he says dude, but it was it was kind of like, yo, I, I am I'm a little long on uh, far flung destination golf right now. Like, keep me posted on how it goes. Uh, I'd yeah, love sorry, to, that wouldn't have been Lost Farm. The Barn Boogle, you're right. So I would love to help and, you know, just keep me posted. But I, there's not much I can do right now. And so it took Ben basically like three years. Like, so we've seen, you know, you, you can kind of piece together how this stuff works. It's not like you buy one chunk of land to do these courses you basically you have to go around to each farmer and each you have to have a separate conversation a separate negotiation and convince everybody and then eventually you can piecemeal enough land together to build a course so which also to to note like most of the best quote-unquote links land in the world in this day and age is if there's not a golf course on it it's because it's protected dunescape environmental environmental like landscape so like this is mostly property that you know, people would want to develop on. Similar to Streamsong, though, this being like unremediated land basically yep. is kind of a... Yeah, there's uh, only so much stuff you can do with it. Right. After. And so golf courses is, is a good part of it. But um, So one of the other things that he had gathered talking to Mike was uh, basically like, if you're going to do this, make sure you have enough land for two courses before you even start. Because I think Mike, Kaiser's quote was something like, you know, one is a one course is a curiosity and two is a destination. And... So now Ben is trying to figure out like, okay, how do I, how do I get enough money and funding and how do I handle all these negotiations for one course, let alone two courses. So it takes like three years. Uh, he eventually does it when, when he has all the land secured, you know, this is early, probably 2007, something like that. Perfect time. (laughs) How many different parcels of land? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. We can, I could, we could take that offline. 16. 16. <laughs> Nobody fact check. It was, it was 32 pieces of land. Uh, but he, he goes back to Kaiser and, and he says, okay, you know, if you've, if you've got all the land secured, I'm going to come see the site. He loves the site, blah, blah, blah. So he helps kick in the rest of the financing and, and off they go, uh, right in, you know, mid 2008. Perfect timing as, Love it. as you said. So Here then we go. obviously the, uh, financial crisis hits and they, to their massive credit, I mean, they kept going. They they had enough funding and stuff to keep it, to keep the project moving. I think at that time they were, gosh, I don't know. They had to be one of, if not the only active golf course project in the world, certainly on the a very short list. That was the line in your golfer's journal story that stuck out the most to me. It was like almost kind of haunting of like, 
when the bulldozers were going at Cabot Links, it was probably the only place where they were going on any golf course anywhere yeah, I mean, in the world. It's just it's like, wild. Whoa! Yeah, I hadn't so, thought of it that way. So, a very small crew of people, uh, many friends of the friends of the podcast that were out there working on it. Uh, Riley Johns and Keith Reb and Keith Cutton and and people like that. Um, these kind of do it all shaper shaper guys that that can kind of uh, do a little bit of everything. So they were. They were out there working on that, and I think one of the most interesting parts about it, if anybody's been to Cabot Links, which is obviously the first course that that they built, uh, is that that land was like pool table smooth, like dead flat land when they got there. It was, you know, this old mine was, it's not like it was rugged, it's not like it was it was all shaped or, or you know, they're finding golf holes out there. Like, it, they had to pretty much do the whole thing from, you know, building in the sandbox and, and really, like, figuring it all out, which I think kind of speaks to it certainly doesn't feel that way at least to me you know i'm not i'm not the you know i'm not a geologist or or an architecture scholar but when you're playing that like it feels very natural it feels like it all kind of emanates from that one big dune in the middle of of cabot links where where the 14th hole is you had said this to us when we were there and i had forgotten it until now like even though knowing that i had forgotten that it was like all not natural yeah so i I think the only other thing kind of worth mentioning on the on the backstory is so so ben and his wife Allie moved there in 2008 they were in you know kind of downtown toronto and and ended up moving to inverness which like i said is you know was four thousand people when the coal mines were were humming i think it got down as low as probably a quarter of that if I had to guess um, as, as things were, you know, things had kind of just dropped out. Like there just wasn't, wasn't a lot to do in town. Wasn't a lot to keep people there. There's a bunch of quotes, you know, uh, when I was writing the story, I went and hung out as one does at the, uh, at the VFW up in, uh, (laughs) up in Inverness and just heard a bunch of stories from guys who'd been there forever. And people are like, Oh dude, you could, it's a very Trump quote, but uh, yeah, you could, you could shoot a, you could shoot a gun down main street and like, you're not going to worry about like hitting anybody. Like nobody's around. People would, they're like, people would fly through here. Like they don't touch their brakes as they like, as they come through Inverness. Like they're, they're off getting to, they're trying to get to somewhere else. They're trying to get to the end of the Island or whatever. Like this is not a place you go. You just, it's not a destination. Yeah. And so, so Ben and Allie, you know, they move, they, they kind of wrap up all of their, all of their financing, all of their, all of their stuff, you know, into this project and end up moving there in 2008. And, uh, Allie, his wife, tells this great story, you know, about she was 35 weeks pregnant at the time when they moved as well. And uh, she tells this great story about how, like, she started crying, like, literally as they drove into town. She, like, thought, she said, I think her quote was, like, she felt like she was moving into witness protection program. <laughs> uh, so just to, to point out, like, you know, you don't say that to, like, poke fun at the town or anything, but just to point out, like, how remote it is when they do there. So... Eventually, all the, the whole project gets off the ground, and uh, Cabot Links gets built by Rod Whitman and, and a crew of uh, very talented uh, contractors. And uh, off, off we are, off we're running. There we are. First golf course is Cabot Links. What year did it open? Uh, Two thousand twelve. And then Cabot Cliffs opened probably three years after that. Something okay. like that. We'll start with. We're gonna start. We played them in this order. We played uh, at Cabot Links, um, and I think you know you touched on kind of the setting and whatnot, but I think. The first feeling I got right on site as we got, you know, you pull up, the rooms are directly in front of you, yeah. looking right at the first hole. And well, there's a restaurant looking well, right even, at the 18th green. Even before that, what really stuck out to me when we first pulled in was the resort is right in the middle of town. Exactly. Yeah. Which that's what I was going to say is you, you go to Streamsong or you go to Bandon, and I mean, it's. It's remote. It's a remote road that you're on, first of all. And then you take turn to the left 
onto this three mile road that like takes you back to the resort. You know, like you don't see another human being that's not at right. the resort. Whereas this is, you could you, hit a ball into the town if you really wanted. Yeah, to. I mean, you're you know, one left is the the ice cream shop or whatever, and the next left is into the resort. Yes. You know, it's right really, in the middle of it. it's awesome. I really enjoyed that. I yeah, like, I so like cool. that that kind of element of it. But then it's it's got this intimate feeling even when you do go into the resort pro shop and restaurant and bar kind of there in the middle and then all the all the rooms are off to either side but it is straight up all against with the, the view course. Yeah. all with a yeah. view of the course and the ocean and so the, the last thing to say kind of about the town because i'm sure ocean? we're gonna be golf of st lawrence what is it uh, i always a, mess up the body it's, of water. Te- it's technically ocean okay. but yeah it's the golf the last thing kind of a, you know from a macro level because i'm sure we're gonna get very golf heavy after this but it's really cool and interesting and heartwarming and complicated and all of those things to see kind of what's happened to the town since the resort is there. Because now, like like I said, when I, I'm not exaggerating and saying like there wasn't that much, there just wasn't places for people to work. There wasn't places for, for people to go. And you, we've seen that in a million different places, you know, like you see that in Bandon, we've seen it in Scotland in places and Ireland in places like these golf resorts, like they, you know, it might sound kind of flippant to say this, but they, they really have such an impact on just the economy of these places. And and that, and that affects your experience too, totally. because people are like, I, f- I feel it at Bandon and, and certain places like Cabot, people are more excited to be there and working. Like, it just seems like they're there. They know the function that golf has in the area and they want you to have a great experience because like they, their business is, is tourism. And it goes beyond that too, where it's like, you know, yes, people are working as caddies and people are working in the restaurants and people are working in the hotels and all of that stuff. But they're also opening breakfast spots and coffee shops and pizza spots and a brewery. And like, there's all this, all these things going on. And so the knock, if, if you're going to find like the, the pessimism is it in it is, you know, well, these are a lot of these are seasonal jobs or temporary jobs. And, you know, it's not, there's no benefits and there's all that kind of stuff, which I think is, is sort of fair. But at the same time, it's like, dude, what, what's the alternative here? Right. You know, like, there's not a big factory that's going to go in. There's not a big, you know, you're not reopening the mines. Like, I, I, the alternative is the town ceases to exist. Yeah, everybody so, moves to Halifax. Yeah, so it's uh, it's just a really, really interesting place. And honestly, like, I think it would be cool to go there, even if you just wanted to see the golf course. Like, if you're if you're up on Cape Breton Island and you just wanted to drive through town and just see it. It's a very cool thing just to see. Yeah. Even if you're not playing golf. I'd go up there. Also, you should play it, though. You should play it, for sure. But if you're listening to this podcast, you'd probably be interested in playing it. But even if you're just, like, it's an awesome vacation spot. Yeah, I mean, outside of golf, I'd go vacation there. Hiking, fishing. The warmest waters north of the Carolinas that everybody likes to keep saying. We didn't test that out. It looked pretty freaking cold. Eating copious amounts of lobster. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so yeah, as soon as you're there, I mean, it's just like, it's sick. Like the first view you have of it and you immediately just want to want to go play golf and it's got all the Kaiser touch and that the rooms are exactly what you want and somewhere to stay. It's not where you want to spend all your time while you're there. It's got warm beds, nice showers, everything you need. It's just all very welcoming and comforting and you feel at home almost immediately. Yeah. So. I, I think that um, I forget who I was talking to for the story about this. I, I think it almost has more of a I'm curious what you guys think, but it almost has more of a. Um, like a feminine quality to it. Like I almost think it feels more welcoming to wives and spouses and, and all of that kind of stuff. Just be, not, you know, that there aren't women there to actually play the golf course as well, but a, the golf courses are, you know, there's no force carries. They're all very, very playable for the ladies game, but also like there's just more stuff to do in town and there's more, 
you know, the, the restaurants are a little nicer and the, like they're the off course stuff I thought was a little more, a little more welcoming than if you were going to go to Bandon or which is obviously a, as good of a golf experience as you can possibly have. I thought the non-golf experience here might be more conducive if you're trying to take a trip with a partner. Or it's got a couple's trip vibe instead yeah. of a yeah. buddy's trip. Now that exactly. I think about it, I, we feel like we saw a lot more couples there than yeah. I would have ever seen at Bandon. Which makes sense because it's, you know, you're closer to the East Coast and you can get up there for a long weekend yep. from New York or Boston. It was difficult to get there. We had to take <laughs> from Jacksonville. It was three flights plus a three and a half hour drive from Halifax. Yep. It is a remote location in the same way Bandon is, um, but it's... You, you can get there in two flights. Let's, you yeah, can. So let's talk about the logistics of how, of how you actually do it. So you, you basically have to fly into Halifax, right? I, is there another small airport up there that's possible? Eventually there might be the, one. They're, they're working they're, on it. They're one. working on it. Well, but, there's another one called Sydney. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. That, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's right. it's, it, and it's not that close. It's like two hours away. Um, but I was reading up on it, I guess, like once a year... <laughs> Somebody always shows up thinking that they like they bought a ticket and they show up thinking that they're flying to Sydney, Australia. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so I, I like like a couple of years ago, it was a guy from Norway or Sweden. He shows up and he's like, "Oh, I'm in." They're like, "No, sir, you're down in, under. You're in, you're in Sydney. Uh, you we almost got there couldn't way, be further away. We got there way faster than I would have thought we would have. But the Rockies would be a little rockier yeah. than this. Well, so my big takeaway was Neil and I flew through Newark, and the flight from Newark to uh halifax was like we got out our, our laptops and they're like no, no you got to put those back away we're landing soon yeah it's like a 90 minute flight yeah and you know right over the coast of maine and uh, you know i was i was blown away at how close it was as the crow flies fun yeah. to know that there's a, a time zone east of the the uh, eastern mm-hmm. time zone as yes. well that's always you know what a thrill that is. Yep. And then so they shuttle they will shuttle you between the airport and the the resort. We got to ride the shuttle, had Wi Fi on the on the van. Yeah. That was nice. Uh it is a long drive. It's a beautiful drive. Though, it is. Also. It's nice drive. I would um, recommend if because it, it's it's hard to get to. So unless you're coming from New York or Boston or, you know, some northeastern city, it's it's tough to get there and it's a full day of travel. But if you can get there when the sun is up and you can actually see that drive. I've done that drive in the dark and I've done that drive in the light and uh, the, the, the latter is a lot more, yeah. a lot more interesting for sure. Shall we get to the golf? I think sure. it's about that time. Yeah. Uh, Cabot links, we teed off. Uh, first of all, we had, a, this was our annual board meeting. So we, uh, we went up and had a nice, nice big meeting in the boardroom up there for about four hours in the morning. Sick boardroom. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, and we teed off that afternoon at, uh, at Cabot links. Um, who wants to start us with Cabot? I'll start us. Okay. Um, kind of eases you in short par five. You know, kind of reminded me of you know, a lot of the newer courses that you play. They just easy in with a. They get you away from the clubhouse. Too. Yeah, and a lot of the older courses. And you can, you, you know, pretty wide, uh, you know, pretty wide fairway. You can send one up there, big green that's pretty perceptive. Yeah, I mean that one didn't really, didn't really knock my socks off or anything like that. What was your, what was your guys' overarching thoughts on uh, Cabot Links before we get too granular? Solly, go ahead. Okay. I think you're gonna you're gonna have the most. Uh, well, I have a lot conflicting lo- I, take. Well, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of qualifiers before I say anything about Cabot Links. Mm-hmm. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> you know me, okay? You know me. So first of all, the set we've talked about the setting. Like there is, you absolutely cannot have a bad time on that property. Like you just can't. Like it is so beautiful. I would go back immediately and play this. This is the place, Cabot Links is the place where I truly learned that I don't think I am personally capable 
of separating out a golf course from how I play. If I play really bad, I just don't feel like I get the experience. And we show up, and again, this isn't that important, but I just want to set the context before we say anything about the golf course. It's like my wrist started acting up, and I felt like I could barely hold a golf club, and I played absolutely horrendous this whole day. All that being said, plus realizing the hardest thing to probably translate is the fact that we got some of the most ridiculous pin <laughs> positions you could imagine. Now, I know what that probably sounds like. I can't imagine how douchey that sounds. Like These guys are bitching about the pin positions at Cabot. But we got the greens are wild. The greens are insane, and some of the pins we got were comical. Like in the to the point where I was like, "Dude, you should not have put a pin here." There's a we'll get to the, the eighth hole is a par five. <laughs> Someone's gonna hurt themselves. It was, it was dangerous. <laughs> it was on ski slopes. It was you could miss a putt like a straight up the hill putt if you missed it to the right of the hole and hit it past the hole like a foot, it would roll back into the hole. Like it was just which is sick. Well, <laughs> it was it was just like comical, and I, there was four putts, five putts going on. Um, so all that being said, I felt like I walked off and I was like just a bit, a little bit confused were, by it. You were part of the Butthurt Nation. I was, a li- I, I was like very open to it. I was like trying to understand it, but I was like, I didn't feel immediately blown away by Cabot Links. Which first of all, a, a lot of this can be summed up by, you know, you shouldn't play golf that well to begin with because I never play well. And then my, my score never dictates how I feel about the golf course. So I would recommend that. I'd recommend getting worse. And then I think you're, you're won't be so wrapped up in how you play. But I, I don't think I was like that wrapped up in it. I just I'm felt sure. like I was I was like, I don't really I'm not sure I'm getting it because I'm so all over the place. That's true. It's that's hard. my overall yeah. point is that like I don't know that I got the experience, so I don't know if any much of this. But I think I that's that's the looking back and the more I reflect on it, and I think we had we had a long talk with Keith Cutton and and Keith Reb and just you know, like these guys after we played it and I feel like that kind of unlocked some of the magic totally of it where Part of the reason it's maybe a tougher course to get to know is because there is so much going on with the greens and there's probably 30 different holes within each one of these holes yeah. to where, you know, like if, if they change the pin from even, you know, even 15 feet away from the pin location you had yesterday, it's going to be a completely different hole. And that, that, like, that conversation we had with Keith afterward was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. And for everyone that like is in like those guys that have worked on it and that are local and that have played these courses more times than you can imagine, they favor links over cliffs. And that and what the more he like talked about him, we're gonna get into cliffs, of course, but cliffs is kind of hits you with that wow factor, but on the repetitive nature, it gets not that interesting to play over and over again, whereas links is different every single time. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that that that's probably true. Talking to Keith was almost like when you watch a when you watch a movie or a TV show or read a book or listen to an album or something and you're like, you just totally, it all goes over your head. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I, didn't, I thought that was like kind of cheesy how they did it. And it's like, it's actually like a metaphor for the fall of the Soviet Union. You're like, <laughs> fuck, I didn't realize that. It's like drinking a bottle of wine with God. a winemaker. Yeah. Like, Which hole is a metaphor for the well, fall of the Soviet all Union? All of them. Yeah, <laughs> all of them. No, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting and it's kind of a double-edged sword. And I think Neil pointed this out and I think we've talked about this uh, with regards to other destinations as well Is so many of these places are, like literally, it's it's bucket list, once in a lifetime type of trips, and that's what I want the perspective on that to be like. For sure, where and I'm coming from is obviously we've been really fortunate to play a lot of insane places. Well, but. I don't even I don't even mean it like that. I just mean like on one hand, so for you to walk off that course and feel that way, I don't blame you for feeling that way at all. That's that's totally fine because I I know you know all of us kind of felt that to a degree. I think, but what sucks is if that's the only time you're going to ever play that course. Exactly, it's hard to it's hard to feel that way. 
But on the flip side However. of that, the conversation that we had in the pub, and if people do take that next step to like think things through and really let it kind of grow on you, I think then all of a sudden it's like, fuck, that's like the ultimate marketing tool. Because now, like, we, since we left, I'm like, God, we got to go back. Like, I, I missed so much about about this golf course and blah, blah, blah. And like, all I'm thinking about now is wanting to go back. And so does that happen for everybody? Like, probably not. And I think that's was your point is that's a pretty high barrier well, to, for people to try to With to clear. the weather we got at Cliffs too, that like we got the Cliffs experience is what I felt like. And I don't feel like we got the full Lynx experience. I think all of us were kind of like, dude, I kind of want like another crack at that. I want to see it. Well, I think with Lynx, because one of the things that blew me away about building golf courses up there is like they don't, it's not very sunny for that long right. during the year. So to grow grass there has to be exceptionally challenging. Mm-hmm. But, you know, talking to those guys up there, like they, it sounds like August, September, once you get a little bit more heat and a little bit more long sunny days, because that was the other thing with Lynx. It sounds like it's, it's more dependent upon the conditions and all of that. So if it's a little bit more burned out. But the other thing was just I, I loved having two courses. I felt like you could dig in. And I suppose you They're could at Bandon. starkly different, too. Yes. But but at Bandon, you almost feel like you're a little bit stretched then because you're just trying, you know, even yeah. if you play all four of them, you're probably playing them just twice or you're playing one yeah. of them three times maybe. But you could really dig in and kind of get to know each of these courses. But for me, I think with Lynx, if I had 30 rounds to play and I had to choose between the two, I'd play Lynx. If I had three rounds to play, I'd play Cliffs. Yeah, that's, that's kind of – I put that in the story, too, but that's like the – the quote that you hear from a bunch of people up there is, you know, if I was going to split 10 rounds, I'd play eight of them on links. But if I was going to die tomorrow, like I'd play clips <laughs> for sure. And uh, it's interesting, like when we walked off the golf course and it, it almost feels like not patronizing, but you hear from all of the locals, you know, when when they heard us kind of say, like, would you would you th- all right, you played them both. What'd you think? And, and a lot of us were kind of like, oh, like Cliff's kind of blew it away for us, at least like our experience. And you just see them smile, and they're just like, "Ah, oh, all right. Well, like you just haven't played them enough. Like you'll you'll get it eventually, but like yeah, you're just go, go keep playing them, and you'll realize eventually. Like Lynx is way better, which, which is which is like I'm not saying I'm on one side or the other there, but it's uh, it's just interesting to hear over overwhelming like almost unanimous praise for Lynx. Lynx felt like uh, Barnboogle Dunes, and Cliffs felt more like Lost Farm. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I, to the, back to the point on the pins, though, is I feel like because of Cliffs or because Links, for all the reasons you just said, Links is like super interesting to continually play because of all the cool little different ways you could play it. I felt like it, we almost got like the hardest way to play it on yeah. each one. And we just yeah. didn't get like the beer, the second hole is a par three is a beer. It's, uh, which like it, I didn't even notice that it was a beer. It's until we got up to the green. Cause we had the front pin on that one. Right. 17th, the par three, we got like a super upfront pin, which like the back left that pin would have been awesome. <laughs> and so again, like I know I can't imagine how petty it sounds to like complain about the pins, but, and, and we're going to get to again, more on cliffs, but I feel like, and maybe it's just cause I've played way more bit, uh, core Crenshaw golf courses, but when I get to their greens, I feel like I can look at them and be like, Oh, they were envisioning a pin here. They're envisioning one here. They're envisioning one here. And I felt like on links, like they really souped up those greens. But I would imagine like when they built this little section of it, they weren't thinking, all right, pin it right here. This is going to be awesome. It was almost like, all right, we're going to do something crazy here today. Let's put it here. And we just got a ton of those. And it was uh, that that it was, I don't know. Cliffs is a bunch of long, broad, very gentle, you know, slopes. And links is like if you just 
pretty drastic. Crumpled up yeah. a piece of paper yeah. and then, yeah. you know, kind of smoothed out maybe a couple little spots, well, but otherwise. It's interesting, like, on the on the pins, the pins thing, which I, I agree, like, I, I can't imagine what that probably a, you've sounds been there, like. You've been that, there more than once. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. you had a different experience, that's and, my point. And that's where I think, like, I know it's convenient for the resort to say this, but like you have to play it more than once, <laughs> you know, like you have to play it on different days. But that's why when, if we had another day, I was like, I would love to play links again. At Cliffs, I liked Cliffs more, but I would rather play links tomorrow. So we only played two days, but I think, I think if we had to do all over again too, we would play, we played play, links and then we played play, another nine yeah. on links or almost another 18 on links that same day. Instead, we should have switched them and played. Yeah links and then cliffs that afternoon and yeah i mean i think the play is to play 36 like play both courses both days, both days. there yeah. or, or spread them out over three days or whatever but yeah to your point like I, when i was there i was there in when was that like last october i think mm-hmm. walking off uh you know playing playing with you guys and whatever and walking off and people being like god the greens are like they're like too much I was like, fuck, I didn't even, that never crossed my mind the entire time I was here last time. And I think it just, it really does speak to the pins and how just different that makes the experience, which some people like that. I don't know. Some. It also speaks to how freaking hard it is to like marry all of these elements, totally. right? Because you got to make it interesting and it should be interesting. But like, so I don't even put that on anybody that designed the course. And again, I don't want to like blame the superintendent that day, but it's like everything marrying up together is really, really, really difficult yeah. to do. That's what impresses me the most about how often like Doke, Hans, and Core Crenshaw like nail it is like a difference in slope of like one point eight percent versus two percent can have the biggest impact. Like if it doesn't play the way like you intended it to, and it, that's what it felt like for a little bit of our day at Lynx. And I know we got a weird wind at Lynx too, but it just felt like everything wasn't really all in sync at this you know all at the same time. Yeah, it's just it's cool to be able to. It was actually cool to be able to feel that way and then to be sitting in the bar later and going back over them and being like, oh, gosh, yeah, if this would have changed or if this would have changed or if the wind was coming here or if this ran out to here. Like it just like you were, said, there's 30 holes inside of each hole. It's just really and cool. And Tita Green, the place was absolutely sick, yeah. I thought. I mean, it was awesome. Like there, we, we can go through some of the holes, too, but I mean... The third and fourth holes were, well, that was, were huge I, I think highlights. the third and fourth holes, that's the best two-hole stretch on the entire property on links. Like three is this short, you know, it's 320-yard par four, bunkerless, uh, like a mound on the left side of the green, hazard all up the right. Uh, if the wind's coming out of the right direction, you can fly the green, but just super great risk-reward. You can literally hit anything off the tee that you want. I love stuff like that where the almost feels like stream song or something where the... Uh, you know, there's one dune kind of like in front of the green that's only, you know, whatever, 10 feet high, 12, 15 feet high, something like that. And it just dictates like the entire, yeah. the entirety of the hole. And you don't need bunkers. You don't need water. You don't need anything to, to really like feel it. You just, that dune decides exactly where you want to be and how easy your second shot's going to be, which is great. And then I thought four was one of the top, you know, three best holes on the entire property just a handsome ass par four center line bunker and i know we you know oh center line bunker (laughs) but it's it was you get up there and it looks so much different from the tee than it does from the fairway and you get up there and you're like wait all of that is is dictated by this one bunker because these it looks like the bunkers are right in a row and you got nowhere to hit it and then you get up there and it's it's wide open except well, for this bunker. That's, and I, to your point on like the centerline bunker thing, what makes them so interesting is it's just way more intriguing to have a really wide fairway but not being able to hit it right in the middle because it makes you 
have to make decisions, right? I mean, a, a golf hole that just has bunkers on the outside of the fairway, like I know the question is like, hey, where should I hit it? And it's directly between them. Where as the centerline bunker makes you think like, all right, if I want to take it in this left portion of it, it's a little smaller, but I'm going to have a way, way better angle at the green. And out at a golf course like this with firm turf and firm greens, the angles really, really do matter. So like this whole chess match, you know, you're kind of working from the green backwards. It's more appealing to go right but I hit and I hit it over there, and I got down there. I was like, "Whoa, this is not the right place to be." <laughs> and then the green, there's a sharp fall off on yeah. the right side. There's these two bunkers in front, one back left. I mean, it was just a, it was a remarkable golf hole. Another highlight are the uh, both the eighth and the thirteenth holes play in the same direction and share the same green. Just a massive, massive green. These, I think these were our two craziest pin positions, so it did affect our play there, but those were like two of my favorite holes out there, especially the, the 13th, the par four. Very blind tee shot, a little rock to hit over. Um, had very Royal County down vibes and uh, just a super mega wide fairway that you can come in from any, any, any spot you want and go into this huge, massive shared green. I thought that hole was awesome. And the sixth was, I think that's one of the, they would probably say one of their signature holes with the, it's, it's this long cape hole. Uh, you got all the lobster boats and, and, you know, kind of the little harbor over on the left. And then it was a tough carry, especially with the wind we had. Again, we had this wind out of the, was that the northwest that really kind of precluded some of the, yeah, it was not the prevailing wind the first day. Mm-hmm. That one reminded me of Ireland quite a bit. Going back to the, the double green a bit, we don't want to undersell what a double, like the green is literally 100 yards wide. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, it is especially on a day where you have if you have the wind blowing like whipping across and you you can hit it in a bad spot i mean you can literally have a two or three hundred foot putt which we had a guy (laughs) which is awesome when we were playing 13 the second time uh there's a guy that was playing eight ended up playing to our pin and we're like waving at him in the fairway like yo other pin and he's like looking back it's so windy out there you couldn't really communicate like no other pin (laughs) i do think it would have been Maybe even a better hole if you play if you cross country. I agree. Yeah. We wanted yeah. to do that, but there was another group coming up behind him. But um, so, what did you guys think about the par threes at links? I thought they were great. I that, mean, I th- that's kind of where I was a little thought, bit conflicted. I thought the fours and fives were awesome. The par threes were. I thought five was spectacular. It's kind of a downhill, downhill one. Almost plays down to this little like cove or lagoon type thing that that branches off of off of the the bay. Um, really wild green. Uh, Tron doesn't like it because I hold like a 40 footer from off the green uh, to win the hole. Uh, seven was, I, I didn't really like seven very much. There were some cool like chocolate drop mounds up by yeah. the tee, but otherwise it, it didn't. Yeah, it was kind of capture me. Kind of a, I don't know. It felt disconnected. Disconnected that, yeah. or forgettable or, or whatever. Um, 14, I thought was really cool. Or 14, yeah. Yeah, so both courses have these short little. Yeah you know kind of postcard little holes yeah it's 100 yards typically plays straight down wind so it's just really really hard to stop it straight out to the golf straight yeah it's it's beautiful for sure like it's it's the most gorgeous kind of part of the property on on links because you're up on top of this dune which again like if you if you picture this whole thing as being a completely flat site it's you're you're built up on top of this 30 foot dune or whatever that that you're hitting you know hitting down 50 feet or something like that down to the screen, and uh, I don't know. It's not the most spectacular part three I've ever played, but it's it's fun. Like I think it's really fun to hit those shots. Well, I guess just knowing that they like man made this dune out of it, the whole, it just felt a little too cute for me. As I think where I land, and it just it wasn't. It's cool, like a little ninety five yard pitch shot down the hill, 
but there just wasn't that much intrigue. Again, not to go back to this, but it might have been the pin we got that day, but we had like a front little pin, and it just didn't seem like there was a ton of, there wasn't much to the shot. Like a really short par three, I think are some of the most brilliant holes because of like the thought process you got to go through to, you know, make sure you can't miss it here. If you miss it here, you are so dead, blah, blah, blah. And it just felt like it didn't really have that element to it. Yeah, there, I, there's that bunker front right, too, that I felt like you're just, all right, cool, I'm just trying to keep it out of this bunker and mm-hmm. get it on the green. Yeah. Um, I love nine. I thought nine was, it's like this. Well, in the par threes, I thought 17, the last one. 17 was cool. I thought I that was the it. best hole, in yeah. the, or best par three on the property. I thought, like, the green, again, like, our pin was, <laughs> that was kind of like, a, like a, one pace off the front, but... Uh, <laughs> It's just massive, massive green with all these different tiers, and it's kind of sort of blind depending where the pin is, kind of sort of visible. It's just... It was like a barrel roll in front of it. Yeah, it was just... Really severe. Spectacular green um, that I wish we had kind of gotten to see a little bit more of, but I I think that one's awesome. I think nine was this... It's a part four. It's only like 350, um, and I I think when it probably burned... like that, That one's probably much more interesting in August or September when it's super firm and fast. Um, you, you know, kind of a blind tee shot. You hit over this ridge, and again, you can hit anything from four iron to driver. Um, but then you got to worry about getting it too close. There's some bunkers kind of scattered like along, and uh, that's a good example of one of the holes where you, you could play it ten days in a row. And depending upon where the pin is and where the tee is, you, you're going to get ten different holes. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's definitely one of the wildest greens. Like that was another pin placement that was. You know, if you missed by six inches, you were rolling off the front of the green or, or rolling off the side or whatever. But uh, I think it's one also like you, you don't realize the first time you play like, OK, shit, this kind of almost shares a fairway with one. Mm-hmm. And if I really wanted to, I could probably bl- like, you know, now all of a sudden it's a hundred and thirty yard wide fairway. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, if the pin is jammed over way on that left, I can almost hit it out in the first fairway and like have a, a better angle and a better chance of holding the green and. Yeah, there's just a million different ways that it can change and manipulate. And that's, that's kind of a hint to what Keith was telling us too of like all the things that get unlocked when it really gets going firm and like in the middle of summer and all the different ways that that you uh, that you would could in theory play it. Ten, and ten's the blind drive, not nine. Nine's nine's, yeah. nine's the super wide one. Right. Ten ten was like another one. It's it's almost 400 yards from the tips, but you could probably get it up there close. Yeah, late in the year. It's another one when it gets firm that it's like yeah. you're, you got to think about how you can keep it in that fairway and what shot shape you need to hit and where the wind is going and all that stuff. I think the green almost like it kind of feels like you're going to come around this dune and see like the most spectacular green in the world. And it's it's pretty average like looking green. It's just kind of a run of the mill green a little bit. But yeah, I think that one would have a lot more intrigue if it was firm too. So let's talk 11. Here we go. I know this one. I loved this I need, whole. I need Neil here for me. This shit reminded me of like Bally Bunyan, man. I, I like, it, it was awesome. awesome. There's these, it's this long par five, longest par five on the property, I think, about 600 yards. Um, there's this, and it, it can't, the fairway can'ts down to the right, uh, and then it goes back up um, to a plateau, and then there's another plateau beyond that with the green. And there's these probably five bunkers down the right side that it feeds into these bunkers. And then the fairway pinches in very, very, very dramatically at the bottom of this hill. And it's still, you know, probably 20 yards wide at the bottom. Um, but it, it was definitely one of the more polarizing holes of the trip. I, I know Solly and Neil had some, some, some thoughts on it. The people who hit it in the fairway thought it was great. The yeah. people who missed the fairway thought it was shitty. Well, let me be clear about one thing here. Like, I, I well, Let clear. me be clear. I wasn't anywhere close on this day. I, I, so Neil hit like a good drive, 
and it went through the fairway. Into, and lo- he lost his ball on the left side. Neil had problems with distance control? <laughs> he did a little bit. Maybe that's not a good drive. <laughs> well, t- I, uh, Neil hit a great drive into the shit. TC was right in the middle of the fairway. We're going right to the the well. get there on this, okay? I was like duck hooking. Like, so I, my, my criticism of this hole does not come from like, I hit two great shots and it didn't work out. Like, I duck hooked it. Like, I was nowhere near. Uh, I think so. To this point, the, the, the hole kind of pinches in and goes down like TC was saying, but you're still like 275 out to the point where it pinches in. So and if you if you lay back from there, you're going to be like on a downslope and have no real chance to go at the green. So my, my whole thing was like... It's if, a par five. Like you, which you're is not fine, entitled to go... I'm not saying you are. You don't let me... You never yeah. have let me finish the actual <laughs> okay, take. Right, right, Every right, single right. time we've done this. I'm not saying you should be entitled to go for it. I'm saying, all right, if you want to make a hole... At that point, the the shot is risky enough from the second shot. If you get down to like, if you're 250 out, like it is a risky shot to try to hit it at the green. So I like the idea of like enticing a player that can hit it far into trying to go for it. There's no real reason to actually go for it. Was my entire point. Like, if if the hole is a three shot hole, and I'd have to play it a lot more times to to like really learn like how to play it. But to me, it's like a three shot hole. It's like a driver's not the play off the tee, and I, I have no real reason to actually go for it. That's See, I the whole point. I disagree with that because I think even if you lay back, you got plenty of room up there to the left, like short left of the green, to where you've got that you know, you've got that super wide landing area for the second shot. If you want to do like if you do want to lay up, or you can go up and there's those three bunkers up the left. But if you if you keep it right of those and keep it left of the kind of that valley it's, got, it's like a 300 yard shot uphill like it's not it wasn't, it wasn't. It's maybe it's 273 we, from well, this first bunker maybe because we played it's up. 273 to the to the green so yeah. you're, you're talking it's like two 230 240 to get up to where you need to be like you just hit a that's that's but that's already driving into the part that narrows but that's what i'm saying like that's why i think it's cool like so i hit driver there i hit probably the best driver of the day and granted we played I forget whichever tee we played. It was like up, whether it was green or or whatever. I think but, we were on green that day. But I uh, I hit it into the narrow part, and I had a five wood like to the green. Like it was, if if you hit it in the skinny part, like you can absolutely get there. Did it. you get on? I pulled it like pin high left. Okay. I, I don't hit it very far. Spot. Yeah. I don't hit it very far. Like it is possible. What and tees Neil, are you playing? The silver tees. I was playing the green tees. I think. Okay. I just also I think there's so a you lot. Your drive three hundred and forty yards. No, I, well, listen. I hit a driver and a five wood to pin high. So whatever tee I was playing, okay. that, that's that's it's, what happened. And it's downhill. I mean, it's gonna. It, it plays way downhill and it's off the tee. But then your oh, second yeah. shot is up. So like, yes, okay. But Neil's point and where Neil's argument was was if you're trying to hit it in that tiny, and it's re, tiny's relative. It's like you said, it's twenty yards, but it's almost like a funnel. Like everything kind of feeds into that. If you hit the right spot, fifty yards back, like it's going to run. In. Yeah, it's going to yeah. run down into that spot. And Neil's point was, if you miss it right, it's a lost ball. And if you miss it left, you're up in the in the heather and the shit, and like it might be a lost ball up there. Which I, I don't totally, totally disagree. I'm sure that that stuff is thicker than they would like it up there. But also, like if you're trying to hit it, if you're trying to hit it as far as you can in the smallest spot possible, like yeah, there should be some risk to to doing that. And I think it was very fun and very like it's admittedly like super fun for me to hear you and Neil. Like this is stupid. I can't just like hit drive. That's, that's, that's not what you're saying. No, that's not what you're saying. That's what Neil's saying. That's what Neil's yeah. saying. No, Neil wasn't saying that either. Like, He's saying I shouldn't be. I shouldn't lose my ball on both sides. I'm like no, yes, you shouldn't hit it there. And we, this is very scummy. You're not even telling the full story. Where you guys were on the tee box, 
You're like, Neil, I, this, I don't think this is a driver here. Oh, <laughs> it's like, too late. I already got it out. <laughs> and then he fucking loses his ball. And it's like, <laughs> this is dumb. I shouldn't lose he, my ball. The other thing is, there's a like, I think there's a lot more going on with the second shot. You can hit three or four different shots for the layup. Like, you can go way up the right. Like, you got to hit a good golf shot. It's not just like, oh, cool. Like, I'm, I'm biding time for the third shot. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to advance it 140 yards. Like, no, you got to hit a you got to hit a premium golf shot yeah. up there. And the green is cool, too, the way it, it cants and it almost kind of like reverse Redan type slope that you can use up there if you are hitting one in there. Uh, to Neil's point, it, his left ball, I think he's he was fine with getting punished for it. He's like, oh, I just want to be able to find the golf the golf ball. Right, like, which I, I agree that fair. they, they yeah. probably should. That stuff is so hard to like keep that thin but punishing but you know not lose it and not have it get too overgrown like that's a really hard balance to manage we might have been playing like different tees on this hole because the probably way were. i remember it is very it's just all very different but again it's like i would love to play it again i just felt like like i'm totally fine with you know holes taking driver out of your hand and i don't think everything should be you know it should should, it should be a clear like risk reward to it and i felt like if i was to play it again i would hit iron off that tee and i'd be hitting it somewhere up the left to try to hit a third shot on yeah. it. and it's like it's the the, the my po- overall point too is like there's so many features there that are really punishing that if I have like a 220 shot at this green, like it is a risk reward shot. Totally. And like it is not a guarantee. It's not an easy birdie. And, and in no way do I think that that's how it should be. But it's like the elements are there to be like, all right, it, you can bail left if you want. It's not going to be an easy up and down. And if you miss right, you're going to be down a cavern pitching 80 yards back up the hill. Which, I mean, that is sweet. Get, entice me into that, though. That's what I was going to say, though, is like I think it is it, it, just looking at the whole like it, it's an easy par. You know, like there's the fairways 70 yards wide or whatever. It's the longest, toughest part five on the, the layup. Course. The layup yeah. is like easy if you're trying to play to that easy layup spot. And then the green is pretty massive. So Listen, I'd love to play it again. But the point is like all of us made bogeys and doubles and all that stuff because we were trying to go for it. I think I was out of the hole. I was good. <laughs> I duck hooked it like it had nothing to do with how I played the hole. So um, going through just more. Uh, I thought 13 was really cool. Another centerline bunker, you know, make your jokes. That was that was the one that shared the green. That was with one eight. that shared the green with eight. That was that was one of the more wild. Like even that half of the green, that was one of the ones we that had was the nuts. The, you know, the crazy pin. And then you know, 15, you're playing down uh, to the north along the Gulf. Really, really cool, cool green up there. Some greenside bunkers kind of set into the hill there. Um, you got to hit a really good second shot in there and then 16 again just farther down the coast uh long par four uh that was a pretty demanding hole that one it was those two reminded me a lot of bandon yeah, yeah. like in pacific too like the so especially pacific 13th the pacific yeah. kind yeah. of stretching out there yeah yeah um 17 i think we talked about yeah. briefly and then 18 was 18, 18 was, was among awesome. my favorite tell the scene of what happened on the 18th green to neil <laughs> well so 18 uh the golf hole itself is I thought really spectacular. I mean, it's crazy, crazy wide. Uh, you can drive it up the finish. left and get a great, great angle at the green. You can, you can blow it 150 yards right, <laughs> right. And, and have a little bit tougher angle to, you know, the, kind of a thinner angle to the green. Uh, and then you've got the, the restaurant and the <laughs> bar. So everything just looms over this 18th green and uh, everything in your power is just trying not to hit it left. And it just attracts every golf ball over there somehow. And so the screen kind of, I don't know if it necessarily like pitches right to left, but there's just a massive drop off on the left-hand side that just funnels all these balls 
basically down and like right in front of the window where the uh, the Cabot bar is. And so everybody's in there sitting. Everybody there has already gone through the hole, which is like a fun thing where, you know, you've already like either made double or made birdie or you've got your own context when you're sitting in there. And, and so then you can just spend the rest of the day watching other people try to get it up and down. And so people are sitting in there in the bar and just drinking and watching and you feel like you're in like a, a zoo for for a minute you know because everybody's looking at you and you got the restaurant upstairs There's everybody's looking super at you mean-spirited back left bunker <laughs> yeah. there. so you can hit it you're just hitting it like uh there's a lot of people around it it feels like you're in like almost a stadium or something when when it's kind of lunchtime or dinner time and so we were going back around and uh we played 18 and then we went and played nine more kind of like a alt shot Scotch foursomes with, type our, thing. with our caddy Neil. Yeah, and so as well, not another Neil. Yeah. So Neil and Neil were were paired together, and Neil the caddy kind of hits it, uh, you know, pin high left, kind of where you know sixty percent of the people hit it, and uh, so Neil Schuster is standing there, and it's like it, there's like five carryovers, and it's like a big a big hole, you know, whatever. We're not playing for like a lot of money or anything, but it's there's there's some fun tension in the air, like everybody's trying to get it up and down for par and, and force another carry over another hole. So Neil's standing there going through all his paces. First of all, he like, I think it was Randy and I just, there's nobody behind us. So Neil's like right up against the building. So we make him go through the full slugger white drop, two tees in the ground, two club legs, making sure where's your nearest point of relief. That ball is now in play. Theatrics for the people that are watching. Complete theatrics. Which, so this is next level grand stopping. Exactly. That's a great point. Clubhouse stopping. That's exactly right. You can't speak on this topic anymore after you banked it off the grandstand at the pro am. So. Landed a pin high there. So Neil, like it, it's total theatrics. And so everybody in the bar now all of a sudden is like, whoa, like what's what's going on here? These guys must be playing for some big money. And so Neil takes his drop. He's getting ready to hit a shot. Tension, you, you could just cut it with a knife. And takes his club back, and all of a sudden you just hear, like, this guy just bangs on the window right in Neil's ear <laughs> right, as he takes, right as he takes the club back. All of us just fucking die laughing, uh, except for Neil, who, who throws up an immediate middle finger to the entire bar. He hit a pretty good bar. shot. He had a great shot. Really good shot. Yeah. I thought he was like kind of fake mad at it. No, he was like actually upset about it. <laughs> he didn't this. shut up the rest of the night. <laughs> the rest of the trip. He's still talking about that guy. Man, that, that was bullshit. That guy, that was bullshit. Fucking mustache guy, man. <laughs> he doesn't know what we're playing for. We could have been playing for $1,000. Like, he doesn't know. Well, we weren't. So like, get yeah, over we it. weren't. So it was really fun. It was objectively very funny. Well, yes. And then these guys, so we, we end up tying that hole. We went to a chip off. These guys called me a scumbag. We're in the chip off. I pulled a hybrid. For sure. And we won. Yeah. That's scuzzy. I thought it was great. You were my partner. Yeah. I supported it fully. Yeah. Well, Neil was not, refused to participate in the chip off because of he was so <laughs> mad about, about the guy banging on the window. So, well, I, so let's, let's do your, your one word to describe Cabot Links. Daedalian. I don't even know what that That's means. It's not a word. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I believe it's a word. Jason Daedalian? It it's like in, ingeniously or cunningly designed. Artistic, ingenious, intricate, skillful. What a compliment. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like I need... I feel like I, I feel inadequate to, based on my experience, to really judge the course, you know, playing it one and a half times. Yeah. Right That's now. why mine was perplexing. It's yeah. like I felt like... I haven't solved this yet. I haven't really fully. Yeah, and it, again, I felt this way about the old course two times after playing it. Like, eh, 
yeah, I mean, okay. And the third time I was like, oh, shit, now I see it. <laughs> uh, so may, that may be the case, but I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed to this point, and I would absolutely love, love, love the chance to see it again. Uh, I had academic. I, I thought it was. It requires some some study. Requires you to do your homework a little bit. Um, you got to make big. You got to be better off. You got to be you decisive. Yeah. And can we again just set the scene for like baseline? Like if if you know, I in my mind, honestly, and I, as much as I don't want to do it, I'm like comparing this to Bandon. Like it's it's the setting is very similar, right? It's the first thing you think of when you see it. So that's like the baseline. If if you've like never been to Bandon or never been to Cat, like you're gonna walk off this course and be like. Dude, that was some of the most fun eighteen Definitely. holes of golf I've ever played. So That's like, what, yeah. It's all it's relative. all relative. Even even when we were kind of talking about the pins and whatever, it's you walk off and it's like, how was it? Well, you know, it was uh, it was okay. Like it was. I hope it was whatever. Uh, I mean, it was still like you know, it's like one of the twenty best courses I've ever played in my life. <laughs> but like you know, it's just it was it was okay. Yeah. Uh, it can't be overstated to how you're on the West Coast. So you're yeah. getting the sunset. Yeah. There's some of the best sunsets I've ever seen. Yeah. Late, too. We ready to move to Cabot Cliffs. Let's do it. So the main reason why I'm very comfortable with the way I've described and talked about Cabot Links is I know the the feeling I had when I walked off Cabot Cliffs, and I know it was a very different feeling. Like, I don't think I'm imagining it. And it was like, okay, that was, that was the kind of experience I was looking for because Initially, Cabot Links to me was like, okay, it's like Bandon, but probably not quite as strong. And Cabot Cliffs was like Bandon Trails and Pacific Dunes merged into one. Like Bandon Trails, but on the coast with spectacular views. And I was like, whoa, this is unique. This is something I have not ever seen before. Yeah, I think it's just, um, I don't say this as a slight or, or anything, but to a, the everyday resort guest, it's just like easier to understand why you like it. Yeah, you know, whereas Cabot Links is like, like I said, like I, nobody would expect anybody to sit and have the the conversation in the bar, you know, breaking down the intimate details of each hole and why it's good and why it's bad and blah blah blah. Like I, I realize how snobby that sounds. I promise it's super fun and I would encourage you to do it. But I, I realize that that's a tall ask for a lot of people. Whereas Cabot Cliffs, I think it's just so much easier to be like, dude, it just the 16th hole, man. Like you hit it right over the cliff and like, I've never seen anything like that. And 18, you're right next to the ocean and it's awesome. It's a cool bar five. And I made a birdie and I blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's a lot uh, more accessible, I guess. I think if the feeling that you're left with after playing cliffs would be kind of a sense of amazement or astonishment or like you're reveling in the experience versus after links, it would be more of a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. I think that's I think that's well said. And again, like I don't want that to sound like a backhanded compliment or anything. Like I don't even know even through all of this, and we can get to our ten hole split. Like I still don't even know like which one I prefer to play. But it's uh, yeah, it's just really interesting to to think of those two differences and and how each one makes you feel and how it makes the everyday guest feel versus the architecture nut versus the person who's never played versus the person who will come back every year and. Well, all that stuff's interesting. Well, I want to go through to like all the advantages that Cliffs has versus yeah. Links. One huge one being it's way easier to have the second course. Like at a resort like this, I mean, I think Pacific Dunes a lot. I, I prefer Bandon Dunes to Pacific Dunes, but most almost everyone else prefers Pacific to Bandon. That was the second course. Uh, just the advantage of all the lessons learned from that first one, and two, it has a much, much, much more dramatic land. Yeah, and it was the originally the site 
that Kaiser wanted to build the first course on, but Ben Cowandoer had an agreement with the city that the what eventually became Cabot Links would be the first golf course. So, uh, so yeah, this is just a, a better site for golf. It's more you can be more imaginative with it, more creative with it. And two, the advantage of also going second, like they got pretty screwy with the, I mean, not screwy, but like unique with the routing. Like it's six par fives and six par threes. Like that immediately is fun to me. Like six chances yeah. <laughs> at, at par fives. Like it, it's just a cool variety. If you do that on the very first course, I just don't know if you have that kind of freedom to do something like that. So all that considering it adds up into, and, and I, this is where I'm hoping that, I mean, obviously I knew that it was a core Crenshaw course. I'm hoping my, like love and appreciation for them doesn't like make me have fun before I already tee it up on it yeah, or like give them good, too, good preconceived notions. Yeah. Or give them too much, uh, I guess the CNC music factory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, as soon as you play, you're like, Oh, well this is like number four at banded trails. Like, the, Oh, this is it in, just looks, in a good way. Like, it, yeah. The best. It's yeah. like not a template. It's like, Oh, this little feature reminds me of something else they've yep. done. And it all just works so well together. And, I just walked off being most impressed with that golf course of any other core Crenshaws I think I've played, including Lost mm. Farm. Yeah. I, I mean, just the set, that setting was just, that was nuts, man. Like that night we got and like all the, some of those fun shots on the back nine, that was, that was idyllic. So, uh, so talking about the holes, one pretty similar start, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you go south and then you, you know, you're basically kind of a wide open par five that inviting green and two was, I think we can all agree two is probably the. I think two is the best. Probably of the, the best thirty-six hole holes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I so think cool. it's just absolutely phenomenal in every every possible way. I could like that's one of the holes where you could drop, you could drop a bucket of balls and like play there. Yeah, play that hole all day because you play like eight different ways. Yeah, I mean it's like to just if you haven't seen it, the fairway is literally I think one hundred and twenty yards wide, but it is a forced case. So you're hitting downhill off a, off a big hill. To this wide fair, the hole's only about 330, 350 yards, yeah, maybe something like that. the ocean, you got your forest up to the left, this marsh down to the right. It's but like, wild. The fairway's really wide, but it also ends, and like there's this marsh hazard area that you definitely don't want to hit it in. It's almost shaped like a Y. Yeah. With like two kind of fingers of the fairway that, that kind of go in opposite directions and shape around this giant dune. And the green sits up on perched on a hill with what I believe they call the Franken dune, which sits. <laughs> That's yeah. A, a friend of, of mine who was working on it was like, I, I was saying the same kind of thing. I was like, what's the, this is so cool how you guys used this dune to just like inform this whole entire golf hole. And it wraps around it and, and comes back. Like basically the fairway goes out in a Y and then the green is kind of like a, a Y in reverse. So you can, you can, play it out to the right and have a shot around to the right of the dune. You could play around to the left of the dune, but I was like, God, that's so cool that you use that dune that way. Like, Oh yeah, that was, we built that. That was all like, <laughs> that. None of that was there. Yeah. It's, it's just a big Franken dune that we just built. It's just massive false front on the right side yeah. of the dune. Yeah. But like you, your instinct is when you see on that tee is like, God, it's so wide. I just want to hit it down the middle. Cause like going to the yeah. right, it's like a more of a forced carry and a little narrower strip. And you totally can hit it down the middle. It's just, you can totally You're blind, totally blind <laughs> on your next shot. Or you can take it down the right and have a great look at the pin and just uh, that, that hole is just phenomenal. I mean, the elevation changes in it and, uh, it just it sets the it sets the tone very early for like this is kind of what you're in for. Yeah, yeah, it sets a tone of like, oh man, I, I don't think I've seen anything like that before. Yeah. And then the third hole, it's like a, got a hogs back down the middle of the fairway, which reminded me, I think it's the fourth hole. Like I said, at, at Bannon Trails, might mm-hmm. be the fifth hole. I was a little bit conflicted on three because it's it's got this. You, you can go up the left side or you can go up the right side, and but I didn't really see the value in going up the left side. 
I th- honestly, I think like later in the year, you might not want to go right because that's there's going to be a ton of divots down there because yeah. like all the balls funnel down there. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's basically just a massive, uh, almost like a split fairway. It never actually splits, but it's a big top tier on the left and a big bottom tier down on the right. And if you if you play onto the right, I think the only benefit to going up the left is there's no bunkers up there. So it's yeah. theoretically a safer shot, but then it's a blind shot coming into the oh, green. It's a blind shot over this massive bunker and then this big kicker on the yeah. back side of the bunker. So You're playing from higher ground up there. I mean, I agree. I, it, it, I do want to play from the right side there. In the fourth hole, par three with two greens, an upper and a lower green, which I thought was really cool. We got we played the upper one. I think the lower one probably would have been a little cooler to play. Um, but a big slope in between the two of them. I accidentally missed the upper green to the left, and it kicked down and went on the lower green 60 yards away, which was, I couldn't have done that if, if I If you have tried. two greens, do you really have one? <laughs> That's well said, Tron. Well um, or connected to. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I wasn't sure. That seems I, I like unnecessary maintenance because the ball can't really stop between the two of them. The uh, it was a great view. Like I, I thought that the the way kind of almost like the horizon lines worked and stuff on that that upper green was really cool because you know once you your eye focuses on the green and then you get past that and then all of a sudden like you kind of see the rest of the golf course and the ocean. It's a cool vantage up kind of like almost these like foothills that are up there and that was that was pretty cool. I thought how they how they used that, but yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I totally get why there was two. Maybe a usage thing or like if, I, I don't know. The sixth, an awesome K-pole again, uh, similar to the fifth hole at, at Cabot Links. So but that's one that I'm like, like mix up your tees a little bit. Because when we played the yeah. second nine there, like that, like being able to carry the hazard one, one round and, you know, have to hit it out to the right the other round was fun. Like it's fun to play that hole two different ways. That was the most outrageous whole location yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. ever seen before there's this tiny little shelf on the right side and um and keith was like yeah that's like that's like not supposed to be a whole location <laughs> even talking to uh talking to the caddy and stuff where like it, it was just impo- like it was not possible to get close i was like all right i'm gonna try to do i'm gonna try to like cut it against the wind and maybe if it stops here it'll it'll trickle out to stay up on that top tier They're like yeah no you can't do it no just try to make four Sixth was a kind of a divisive par three. I think it, it was, it's a cool, it's called the cup and saucer and where like the upper part of the green is, is kind of, there's it's two like tiers. A, two punch bowls. Almost. Yeah. There's two tiers, but the back part of the green is below the, it's like totally blind. And we got a, of course a pin on the front part. So we didn't get to experience the back part. And, uh, it was a little bit, it was very narrow. Like you couldn't really play much of a run up shot without risking going in the, in the deep stuff, which was, I think a lot was of It's really hard did. too, because I think that, you're kind of playing through these almost like this little like half pipe of of these two dunes on each side and i think that completely blocks the wind so as soon as your ball gets above that like there's all this wind up there that you don't really feel and so i just i have such a hard time of of uh i liked it i tried trying to get that keep that ball straight without just getting very low-key like you had to be really thoughtful it was cool i remember the, the first time we played it was to that back pin and it was it was a lot more yeah, a lot more, more thrilling yeah. to it uh, back-to-back par fives on seven and eight, um, some pretty cool holes. And then the ninth was their their version of the short par three. Going back, I think seven is a good example of, I could see cliffs being maybe a little bit harder for high handicap players. It definitely was the first, the first time I played it, it was like the wind was crazier. And that's why everybody kept saying, they're like, oh, uh, cliffs is like four or five shots easier. I'm like, no way. Like it's so much. And I was, that was the exact shot I was picturing was, it's it's this pretty massive carry, and it kind of gets the, the carry kind of gets longer and longer the further right you go. So when you think about most players, you know, hitting kind of a slice, 
it just I can't imagine how many balls are in the bottom, at the bottom of that that gully down there. Which you know I think we all agreed like cliffs for us was probably and we're not you know we're kind of the gamut from scratch to a twelve or thirteen handicap and I think to a man cliffs was probably three or four shots harder for each of us or, or sorry easier. sorry easier yeah. easier for each of us. I was say, um, whereas I think links there's less. There's less force carries, but if you're trying to get the ball really close to the hole, it's it's not as easy yep, to. I agree. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought you know I thought seven and eight like kind of ha- like seven's really hard par five, and then eight's a super easy par five, more of a you know four, par four and a half. It's cool to have two par fives that run directly opposite directions, also because you know you're depending on the one easy, yeah, yeah you're gonna get one easy, you're gonna get one hard, and so I think that that was a cool cool device that you don't see all that much. The green sight on seven was tr- one of yeah. the best ones. It's so cool, kind of green angled from front right to back left with uh, bunkers that protect it, kind of sits up perched, and we didn't get a wind that was beneficial to go for it in two, but it would be a really really fun try to hero carry uh, to try to get on that green in two. Which made the the next part five was with the win for us, and it was like driver mid iron, which was pretty yeah. easy eagle if you ask me. <laughs> That's scummy for you to say that. <laughs> Tens of part five too, so you have three part fives and four holes. Yeah. Yes, and it doesn't feel. I don't really know. You don't really it notice, feel it. Gimmicky, notice it. Well, you don't notice yeah. it. Just well, I like, think because oh, nine is my challenge. Nine is so different too. Nine is a, right. You know, a hundred and ten yard little postage stamp type part three. Which yeah. you like walk the distance of the hole and then yeah. play it back, which is kind of interesting, and then. Yeah, the tenth hole is just a stunner par five. The ocean all down the left with a little cavern in front of the green. It kind of makes you want to play down the first fairway with the right wind. To like totally, try that, was, to, that was the Icarito line. Yeah, exactly. to try to get a good angle into that one. I love that one. But once you do that, and it's really cool because of how it's just cool when you see how they how they maintain kind of the the dunes and the waste area type stuff because. Yeah, once you've played it once or twice, then all of a sudden you're looking back from the green. You're like, shit, why didn't I hit it? Why didn't I hit my second shot way out to the right? I'd have so much better of an angle and I wouldn't have to carry this whole hazard and blah, blah, blah. But there is a little, like, it, it's a little riskier to do that because of the stuff between one and, that, and ten. Or, you know, there's a nasty bunker and there's, yeah. if you miss, like, you can, yeah. it's a risk to do that, but it, it is probably well, then far I, easier. I kind of tried to, like, the first time we played it, I, I had you know good number in. I was like, all right, cool. I'm just gonna blast the three wood and try to get backside of the green or even in that back bunker. I put it in that back bunker, and word to the wise, that back <laughs> bunker, there's not a whole lot of sand in there. It is, which I think was a conscious yeah. thing for them. And then and then you're worried about you know putting it in the hazard up front. So it's a and it, that was one of my favorite greens on the on the course too. Yep. Just a really kind of back to front slope and and it feels like the end of a nine it's the 10th hole but it feels like the end of a nine because you get you go right up to the 18th green which is right behind it and then you kind of cross over to where you teed off on one um which for the setting too looking at you know they're they're, like they're doing a bunch of construction they're doing the big the big putting green and the short course and and building a halfway house and all sorts of stuff but you've got these couches Hmm. up behind nine or 10 green and 18 green so the setting there it's like on this little pull off it's just wild and you're like god like i can't like i'm so excited to play the next eight holes but i also can't wait to just go <laughs> sit on these couches up there well between our between our two rounds we had, we had two tee times kind of booked at cliffs we played it twice in one day and uh i think there were some wires crossed just internally with us about when our next tee time was and then i was looking at my phone i was like oh gosh we don't have to go to the tee like we don't tee off for another like hour and everyone's like oh sick we can just sit on these couches and just drink beers for an hour that's that's way better than going back out 
11th hole, par four that goes up the hill inland. I think I like this hole a lot more than, than the rest of the really I love that hole. I liked it a lot. It was like, like a classic core Crenshaw hole. Um, you get, if you carry the bunker on the right, you get a much better angle into the green coming up the hill. Yeah, but everything kicks down left towards the yeah. bunkers and a blind shot. And it's just, yeah, it was that was cool. I think um, 12 was my favorite par three. Really good par oh, three back at the water. Yeah. It's a tough hole. I mean, I don't want to do every hole, but like, gosh, every hole is somewhat noteworthy yeah. in some way. I mean, 13 is like a wild Alps par four with a like, totally blind shot into a green. It's a huge mound that you hit over. 14 was probably my favorite par three on the whole course. Just this stunning setting like this green just kind of sits perched it reminded me a lot of the sixth hole at augusta it's it's perched up a little higher but like like we didn't even get this pin but like a bottom left pin was a, a cool little bowl pin yeah like we got one on like a top left shelf with this little death bunker behind it <laughs> and just a massive green that had so many options to it there's a rock yeah like too. a rock carve out like that one, oh God. That and evening this, we got there was just like that was the best golf evening you could ever imagine. There's this little bunker directly behind the green too, up like carved <laughs> out of the trees. It's yeah, just it's super looks like it's there. It's just, yeah, that that takes your day from bad to worse. Yeah, you hit it in there. Yeah, uh, and then and then you walk up to fifteen uh, T and fifteen was. Again, it's, it's kind of similar to three a little bit, almost like a, a hog's back or whatever you want to call it, kind of like a split two-tiered fairway where if you drive it up the left side, you've got like just this incredible view of this reachable par five. If you drive it down the right, you, you're kind of going to be a little bit blind coming in, but just like from a fun, reachable, birdieable, tripleable par five, like, I mean, it's that's about as much fun as you can have playing a par five, I think. And there's this little mound in front that, kind of informs the way that you hit your second shot in there. And if you get the kick off of that, um, that was a really cool hole. I think for me, some of these holes, I wanted them to, like looking back, I wanted them to be more strategic than they were. I think, uh, and maybe that was, you know, just a matter of talking to some of these guys about it, where if the pin changed, I don't think you'd play the hole that different. Yeah. Right. To where, you know, and that's not necessarily a knock. It's that That's part of the reason why it's so approachable for the resort guests. And it's, it's a great, course to play on a trip like this that was kind of my thinking with like cabot cliffs is it's just the barrier to entry is lower like it's just it's right this is what it is like it is maybe if you played it 20 times you would play the whole the exact same time the exact same way but i mean this isn't like a member's course this is a resort course and you come to play it twice three times maybe but and i know they want you to keep coming back but i thought that's that like that is what i would want out of a resort experience stunned me yeah i think that's the that's the wrestle or the the argument is like a whole like 13 is a perfect example of we all played it it's a straight uphill you know alps type par four where completely blind you you just kind of crest this big hill and then behind the hill is almost like this punch bowl like really big but kind of punch bowl type of green sort of and we all played it and we all crested the hill and saw the pin for the first time. We're like, oh my God, that's like the most fun shot ever. It's like one of those jumps in like a the X game, like the big <laughs> yeah. air competition. Yeah. The, the pin's like right behind <laughs> the, the ramp. And so we all like absolutely loved it. We're freaking out about it on the green. Like that's such a fun shot to hit. And then you start thinking about it like, well, would it be as fun like the 20th time? Like, eh, probably not. Like it <laughs> would probably be similar. And that's where. The follow-up question to that is like, does it matter? Like, it was really fun the first and second time, so I, I guess that's kind of the, a win. But even versus some of the, you know, Stream Song Red or Old Sandwich or Lost Farm, it just it felt like it had a little bit less. It was it was more, hey, it's it's right there in front of you yeah. than those. Yeah. Versus another Core Crenshaw. Well, let's so. get to sixteen. 
You guys started off. I don't want to. I don't want to come in. Well, sixteen is the hole that you would have seen pictures of. It's par three, just a tee shot directly over a cliff uh, to this little green. It's on this little piece of land that is almost too small to have a green on. And it, it's the, I know I've seen so many pictures of it. And I'm like, huh? Like, yeah, that looks that's that pretty wild. Like, how do you, can you actually like, see the green? Like, how, how does it how does it work? And you get up there, and it is kind of like, it's like a thrilling shot over the cliff. But I thought. It felt like to me it was a very postcard picture hole and like will look great on a drone and all that. And it wasn't that intriguing to actually play it. It's tough. I mean, part of the part of the green was closed off. Um, like the right portion of the green was closed off. I don't know if it was closed off for like maintenance issues or we heard some whispers. There were some some sinkhole issues going on over there as well. Um, so they might have some some pretty massive uh, repairs to to do to that green in the in the coming years, but. It's just a, if you sound it up in a, in a word, I mean, it's just a little awkward, I think. It's that you can kind of do one of two things. You can fly it right at the pin and try to stop it. If you do that, you're probably going in one of the bunkers short or long because uh, the green is so narrow and, and typically the farther firm. Right you go, and, the, the more narrow it gets. Yeah. So you're either going to filter like all the way down to that, the fat part of the green, which is way on the right hand side, which is where they, they couldn't put the pin when we were there, or you're going to go over the back into one of those back bunkers. Or there's a massive, it's not a, not a redan, but it's kind of this, a reverse redan, but kind of the same sort of shape. Like if you were looking at it overhead, it would almost look like that, but it's way steeper. And so there's a, there's a shelf you can try to hit probably, I don't know, 20 yards left of the pin that will trickle it all the way down, but it's such a small target to hit. And a lot of times the ball just ends up kind of hanging up there. And Or there's a bunker just to the left. Or there's a bunker there. Or it's just a, it's a very awkward, awkward shot. It, yeah. It just leaves you itching a little bit. It's kind of like, oh, ugh, I don't know if that was I think fully. It's spectacular and it's thrilling to hit. And we took a lot of photos there. And it's, it's, if you go play it, like you, you'll have a really fun time. But if you're, if we breaking f- down kind of like the golf components of it, it's a little. It's just little weird, weird to play it as like a 16th hole too, because it's late in the round. You got you know if you got something on the match or, I don't. I didn't even think it was that thrilling to hit. It's certainly scenic and everything. Um, and you know people have mentioned 16 at Cyprus, but 16 at Cyprus is like a much bigger green, and you can see it, and it's canted a certain way. And I mean, like I've never played Cyprus, but just looking at it and. Just seems like a much more eminently fair hole, even though it's longer. Um, whereas this one, it just it felt like it was almost. It was I wonder. Almost dumb luck. I wonder how we would have felt if we had the front right green uh, that part yeah. available. Like I think it would be. It's. It would almost be kind of. Com- it's. It looks hard, but it's the effect of that would have been very different because with the pin we got was just like. And I, I can't imagine how sick of people are hearing us talk about the pins, but like it dictates so much. And the pin we got is the most awkward one, and you don't get the real exhilaration of hitting over that gap yeah i mean for me i I was shocked that like after playing it i was shocked that people have ranted and raved about that hole and i think it's almost irresponsible (laughs) because i think it's a slight on the rest of the course that they that everybody picks that hole to rant and rave about it's like yeah like it's it's like you know it's pretty but is it a good golf hole i don't think so I think we can say the same thing about the next hole. I mean, the seventeenth drivable par four is it's it's more unique. So I think I like this hole probably more than you did, TC. But it is it's because it's the most one of the most unique tee shots I've ever hit. I mean, you're almost hitting sideways up over a cliff. Like it's not. You look at it, and I've seen again from pictures from it. I was like, 
dude, this looks really awkward. Like it like a really awkward shot, and it is an awkward shot. Yeah. But I, never in my life have I hit up over a cliff. Totally. And I was like, oh, that is sick. No, it's that's that's probably more of a, a thrilling one than than sixty. It's a thrilling one, but then you get you get, like you get down to the green, and you're like, oh, there's a bunker there, front left. If you know, you're not going to carry it all the way to the, or you're probably not going to carry it all the way to the green. Um, it's really not a good option to go, you know, to lay back with a six or a seven iron up left on the hill because then you got this weird ticklish downhill shot. And like, I'm not, you know, I played it fine. I made par and birdie on it, but it was just a matter of, again, I just felt, especially as the 17th hole, it just felt so overly gimmicky to where, you know, just a weird green shape for what the hole is. Like you, you have no, especially, especially for a resort, like you have no idea how far right to take it. Um, the caddies to their credit really don't either. Um, you know, it was just like, it's a total guessing game. And like, we, we love, I love blind shots. Like I love blind shots. I love short par fours. And this one just didn't do it for me. It's hard to have it completely blind and then also have that kind of small, almost like random bunker in there. Because like you said, there's like the trade-off to, you know, well, if you don't like the bunker, like you should lay up. But like you said, laying up, then you're hitting what, like a seven iron to the top of the hill. And then that feels like really weird. And so it's, yeah, it's a little, it's a little strange. Like I liked it a lot more the second time when we hit it on the right line and it rolled up on the green and we two putted for birdie. Like that was... That was fun, but it's it is uh it's hard to like the first time I I hit it almost in the identical spot that I hit the second one and it went in the bunker. So it's yeah. it's I, hard to I don't know. Hard I'm hard to, pressed to to critique Corin Crenshaw, but like if that bunker was just sm- like a small little pot bunker that was like all right, yeah, it's not free. It's not like free access to the front of the yeah, green. Yeah, if you like, want to go for the green, it might go in this bunker. Yes, but, but like this one's like all right, if you go for the green, like it's probably going to end up in yeah. this bunker. Other than you might get it through this fifteen yard gap. And it might sneak on the front, but other than that, you're going to end up in a bunker. And, it's just, and I don't the bunker is not the worst place to be. No, it's, it's just, just it just feels like it's totally playing roulette. Yes, yes, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, um, and it's just a weird, you know, it's, sub, it's such a substantive, you know, gorgeous, but also like eminently fair golf course before. And and I hate to use the word fair, but just eminently like you know what you need to do. And there's there's some flourishes like 13 with with that big mound, or there's certain things that you know you got to. You got to play it right, and you got to get a little bit of luck going. But it's just a weird finish for sixteen and seventeen. Like I think if if sixteen was like if they weren't next to each other, I'm not sure we would be quite as hard on them. But it's like two straight holes of just like what the fuck, man. Yeah, I think it's also just with the rating, like the 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 kind of the appeal that comes with it. Like they're postcard material, both of them, and you'll see pictures of them. So you kind of expect them to be the best holes and they're not like, and that's not a, that's more of a, you know, like a praise on the rest of the golf course. than it is like criticisms of the hole necessarily. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it's just confusion that those are the holes that I, that I heard about before we played it. And I'm like, tell me about those after you tell me about number two and number 15. Yeah. Those yeah. holes. Yeah. I think it's almost like the reverse of, you know, the, the bar conversation, right. Where it's like, if, if people aren't having the, uh, aren't having that bar conversation breaking down the holes and talking about really what the intent was and all that stuff. Like it's their impression of those holes are probably gonna be like, yeah, here's like, here's my picture. It was great. Look how pretty it is. Yeah. And so it's hard to fault people for that too. So I agree with you. I don't think it's my favorite, my favorite holes to play, but I mean, it's, it's scenic and a lot of people like that. So it yeah. would be fun to keep playing. I think it'd be, it's way more fun to play than 16. I think like it'd be fun to keep hitting at the top of the hill and finding yeah. out where the ball goes. It's kind of fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I have no idea what's going to happen down here. It's that part is kind of fun. Something else too is, is 
uh, Randy and I played with a couple guys from Ontario in our first round there, and and you know one of them was probably a 15 handicap, the other one was probably a 22 handicap, and like those guys, they had no chance on 16, <laughs> yeah. really, or 17. Yeah. You know, yeah, which was which was frustrating for them because they want to enjoy this part of the property, but then they're, you know, they're back into their pocket and yeah. not even knowing where to drop basically. <laughs> 18 par five water o- ocean all to the right perched up on a cliff. It's not the most spectacular design hole, but it's just beautiful. Like it's awesome. Totally it's a great gorgeous. hole to play. Yeah. It's not that unique. There's nothing crazy about it, but it was just awesome. I loved it. I would great, I love that, that hole. Yeah. It was a great finish too. I mean, it's a good, like that kind of encapsulates a lot of what makes cliffs, you know, so good. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty wide. It's gorgeous. It's you got a chance to make a birdie or a triple, and it's just uh, very a cool hole. greenside bunker. Um, this small little bunker that a lot of stuff it kind of dictates how you play both the second shot and if you're playing a third shot, the third shot. Everything it's like a magnet. Everything rolls into that, and then you got to you got to deal with it if you're coming in at all from the left. So it really gets you to play down the right side if you want a good angle in. What's uh? What's your one it. word for cabin cliffs? Thrilling. It was just thrilling. It was a thrill. Like I walked off just with a big smile on my face and just like, whoa, I just saw something really, really special there. Mine was similar. I had rollicking. It's just rollicking. a it's a rollicking good time. It's up and down and it's all over the place. I had candid. Candid? Yeah. It's just, what does that it's, mean? It's a little bit direct. I mean, Other than sixteen and seventeen, it's it's pretty direct. It's pretty uh here's what you gotta do. You still gotta make decisions and everything, but you know, it's it's pretty direct and pretty right there in front of you and, and uh you know, I think you're going to like it right off the start. All right. The judgment day. You got 10 rounds to divide between the two courses. How are you doing it? I My uh, ratio has shifted wildly over the last, <laughs> even <laughs> yeah. since October, since I first I went there the first time. But I honestly, I might be at like 5-5 five, five now, hmm. which I don't even know. Like, I don't know if I've ever split two courses 5-5. Five, five. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm way in my own head on, on which one I like more and I don't think I can make a decision, which is great. What a what a testament to a great place. I'm going six links, four cliffs. That's where I was. I was right in between that. Which I feel like a total fraud because I walked off a cliff <laughs> after the first time. I was like, oh, fucking eight two, man. Like, <laughs> but just like the more I've reflected on it and, and dwelled on it and kind of that second time around links, I think was really accretive to, you know, knowing what you need to do and... Just some of the magic of it. I think I'm, so I can go two ways with it, kind of like to me as somebody that needs to, not needs to, but would like to speak very intelligently on these courses, uh, I would go 5-5. Five, five. Like I think for experience-wise, I think it'd be important to do that. Now, me, golf fan, wants to go play golf at this place uh, and just have a great time, I would say 8-2 cliffs. Really? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was dude. Like that again. I, I go back to like the feeling I had walking off the two di- different courses. I was like, that that was something special. That was truly, truly something special. And uh, I could have been the pins. It might have been the pins um, <laughs> on links, but I I felt very different walking off the two golf courses. And that's I can't uh, I can't hide my feelings no, anymore. That's great. Well, look, I think we got to get we got to go gather some more data. Neil had a similar. Neil had an eight two rating yeah. as well in favor of cliffs. I think um, Randy was probably more. On- I well, I just found it interesting that you like. I think it can speak to, and again, I, we've qualified this a million times of how you know your different your experience can be. But you literally went to this place like nine months before we did, and had a flipped experience than we had. Yeah, like oh, you, I, I walked off and like, and again, I think a lot of it was how I was playing, and I think the wind got 
wind was way higher on cliffs the first time I played it. So all of those places that you think high handicaps might lose balls, like I lost balls in all of those places. The wind was like on 17, it's whipping left to right. I'm like, oh and, I'm, and I hit a cut and I'm like, yeah, there's... Like there's literally no way this is not going in the ocean, and there it goes. And on 18, there's literally no way this is not going in the ocean. There it goes, and so it's, uh, yeah. I, I like I said, I'm trying to to manage my expectations and not let all of that dictate everything. But yeah, I walked off the first time and was like, oh dude, it might be seven three, seven three links, and then we had spectacular day at cliff so look we just need to go back we need to gather more data we need to keep uh send us your rankings if you've been there how would you split your 10 rounds send us uh tweet us uh your answer to that if you've made it this far into the pod tron what's your answer join the conversation you give me your answer um yeah i was six four you're six four six four links my brain's mush at at this point yeah that was uh, i didn't know if we were going to get a full podcast out of these two golf courses and here we are an hour and a half later yeah uh we we touched on it but there is a short course going in over there a 10 hole course uh that they were working on while we were up there uh, as well as a putting green there at at cabot cliffs um and they're hopefully going to be building more courses there in the future yeah of course they have the saint lucia one going down uh, which you probably can't do in the same trip, I would imagine. But um, can't wait to get down there and check that one out. So, uh, and I think just going back to um, a couple other things we wanted to point out: the pub. Yes, the pub was fantastic. Um, really, like it. It felt like it didn't feel like you were on a resort. It felt no, like it was part all. of the fabric of the town, and you know, like, which I think it was. I mean, you yeah, see a you lot s- of it's. It's definitely not all resort guests that are there. Caddies, you know, the guys who are working yeah. on building the short course. Um, you know, people that work at the resort, it's like, come one, come all, everybody's welcome there. Uh, we also figured out Canadians love loud music. It was very loud. Loud live music. Yeah. Obnoxiously loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, great, great outdoor area there up at the pub and then a bunch of beers on draft. Great menu there. And then the upstairs restaurant. Uh, Spectacular. On property, Panorama restaurant. was great. Cabot Bar downstairs. Yeah, I mean, just like the the setting was, it felt a lot more intimate than any other "quote unquote" resort yeah. I've been to. Um, if you're looking to get off off campus, by the way, I, I mentioned this in the Golfers Journal story that we keep referring to as in uh, issue number eight. But the Glenora Distillery um, is we didn't make it up there with off you know with the this NLU trip, but I spent a lot of time there last time I was there, and it's 10, 15 minutes up the road, and just an awesome kind of like little hotel and distillery and restaurant and bar and uh just really would would be a good add to your trip if you're looking to if you're especially if you're there for a few days and starting to get island fever trying to get off off campus from the resort that's a a really cool spot to go check out entirely worth the trip i mean it's awesome awesome place 10 Uh, 10 out of 10 would would return i would go back immediately i hope that uh i would say also neil and i flew up a day early we were in atlanta and we flew up a day early and actually hung out in halifax the friend Joey Palov, and uh, they, we had a we played at Ashburn. We had a great time, but the food and beverage scene in Halifax was awesome. And we haven't talked about it yet, but the exchange rate favorable, very favorable yeah. <laughs> for at least our American listeners. Yeah, living like kings. Um, but yeah, I mean Halifax. There's some cool golf around there. Highland Links sounds like it's worth checking out next yeah. time we're up there too. So yeah, Nova Scotia really. Eye-openingly cool. Brings the noise. You know, laid back, uh, and the people or the people could not be nicer. Yeah, too. Awesome time. All right, let's wrap it at that. Thanks everybody for tuning in, and uh, until next time, we're coming back, Cabot. Keep our beds warm. <laughs> Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about in? That is better than most. 
Better than most. 